You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. COVID Converted Edition number 7, Reshaping Curriculum Design and Attitudes About Online Learning. That teaser was from a piece called Wonderful Day by the Debbie Porius Trio. If you like jazz, I'm sure you'll like this piece. Stay tuned for the full song at the end of my podcast. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I'm very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash pulsepodcast to learn more. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rods Pods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. This episode is an interview with Amanda Smith, the Chief Academic Officer of Academic Partnerships, and Maria Anderson, General Manager of Course Tune. This special COVID-converted edition audio and video podcast series responds to the impact of COVID-19 on the way we live, learn, and work. So we discuss Amanda and Marie's background, an overview of CourseTune, which is a very elegant visual course planning tool, the role of academic partnerships, the growth of online programs, the changing attitudes about online learning during the pandemic, the need for a change in curriculum design. We talk about the release of Course Plan, a CourseTune Lite product. We talk about critical outcomes alignment, curriculum outcome support, faculty training in the role of instructional designers, the challenge of short-term versus long-term thinking. Certainly, these products integrate with the LMS and some new features on the way, including variation layers to course tune. So without further ado, here's my interview with Amanda and Maria. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, the topic, as I mentioned, is going to be reshaping curriculum design and attitudes about online learning, especially in this pandemic world we're now living in. And I'm very happy to have uh, join us today, Amanda Smith, who's the Chief Academic Officer at Academic Partnerships, and Maria Anderson, who's the General Manager of CourseTune, which you may remember I interviewed Maria a couple of years ago about CourseTune. So we are familiar with her, her product. Uh, before we jump into the the content, let me um, ask uh, first Amanda and then Maria to give us a little bit about your background and uh, to introduce yourself. Absolutely, thanks. Um, so Amanda Smith, uh, Chief Academic Officer at Academic Partnerships. Um, I started my uh, kind of career education uh, journey uh, teaching. Uh, K-12, 20 years ago, I was teaching kindergarten and third grade um, in various school districts across the country. Um, That led me to a PhD in curriculum and instruction at the University of Denver, uh, which acted kind of as a launch pad for the next chapter. Um, I uh, went to work in curriculum development kind of across sectors uh, for a private company out in California for a number of years, uh, working with uh, private post-secondary, for-profit, nonprofit on campus, online. Uh, was vice provost of a large online institution um, out in Florida uh, for a number of years before coming to AP. Um, And I share all of that to say that um, 
it's really wonderful to be able to kind of take cross-sector experience and and best practices um, literally at every at every level um, from kindergarten through higher ed and serve our public state partners um, and the students that they serve. Great. Thanks, Amanda. Maria, how about you? I'm going to try to be as concise as Amanda was. That was that was a great, great, great introduction. Um, I've been in higher ed pretty much my whole adult life. Um, I've worked across a variety of different curriculum. I have degrees in math, chemistry, biology, um, business, and higher education leadership, which is my PhD. Uh, I've taught at community colleges, at four-year colleges, at private year colleges, or private school, private colleges, yes, private year colleges, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and I've worked at a variety of uh, different software companies as well, adaptive learning, I've worked with um, game-based learning, um, learning management systems, and, um, and competency-based learning, as well as traditional online, hybrid, uh, done a lot of national professional development work, especially in STEM. And so I've kind of come at curriculum from a lot of different subjects, a lot of different uh, discipline uh, pillars within the university, from business to education to STEM. Um, And uh, from all of that, there was just kind of this consistent um, need to have a way to design curriculum better. Um, when you design a course, whether it's face-to-face or online or hybrid or, or for K-12 or for higher ed, you, you have to hold so much information in your head and it's getting more and more complicated as we try to um, peg what we do in courses to national standards, to state standards, to professional organizations, to um, the workforce to new jobs emerging in the workforce as we try to shift curriculum from where it used to be aimed to where it's aimed now. It, it's, it's simply too much information for a person to hold in their head. And I saw over and over again um, what would happen to a, a department if the person who had all that information in their head retired, um, which was that a lot of institutional knowledge would be lost. And then people would start to make changes to programs that they shouldn't actually be making because it removed things that should be there for some of these, you know, standards. And so when we went to, you know, when we designed course tuners really to aim at a couple of different problems. One, how do you architect curriculum so that you don't have to hold it all in your head because it's impossible. You, You cannot design an entire program in your head down to the course and the module and the learning activities and the assessment activities. You just can't. You also can't do it in spreadsheets. It's too, com- these programs are too complex and um, you need to be able to dive into the data from multiple directions and multiple perspectives to be able to do it well. And, um, and then we wanted people to be able to not only be able to do that design, but also pivot on their designs quickly. And so knowing what's there to start with uh, helps you to pivot quickly into new certificates, micro-credentials, et cetera. So we built course tuning to kind of solve the, the, the problem at the intersection of all these different disciplines and degrees and levels of education. Um, Great. So. That, that's an excellent uh, summary of, of, of course tuning and your purpose. I, I wonder how many of my audience uh, know what academic partners uh, 
Partnerships does. Uh, are you considered an OPM for those out there who know online program management companies? How would you describe uh, academic uh, partnerships and what your your goal is? We are indeed technically an OPM. We like to consider ourselves an online facilitator. Um, and as I as I referenced a moment ago, um, the majority of our partners are uh, in the public state space, um, regionally accredited. Um, in many cases, minority-serving institutions, um, and uh, an AP essentially provides kind of 360-degree support to help bolster infrastructure um, in the spirit of expanding access, um, providing high-quality, affordable, asynchronous workforce programs. Um, we really focus um, a lot of our support and service um, in uh, the technology space, undergrad, business, healthcare, education. Um, and I'd say, um, as well, the kind of a key differentiator perhaps is that, um, academic partnerships takes a lot of pride in ensuring that faculty are at the helm of design and development and sustainable practices. Um, we're not in the business of, of creating or developing curriculum or teaching courses uh, for our partners. Um, we really, again, want to help faculty um, create the highest quality sustainable practices. And, and again, this is where the, the partnership and, and synergy with CourseTune really comes into play. Certainly, I, I can imagine that. Uh... I'm just curious, you know, um, uh, your your clients, the institutions you've partnered with, uh, teach, you know, on ground, face to face. Before the pandemic, what would you say the breakdown would be in terms of the average institution, in terms of uh, how many were uh, had, you know, uh, active online programs as opposed to uh, all, you know, on ground. Great question. I don't have a, an exact percentage for you, but what I can share from my experience is that um, the majority of the institutions that we work with, um, and this is also, again, kind of pre-pandemic, uh, if you will, um, had uh, some degree of an online offering, um, traditionally more of kind of your semester-based um, online um, modality uh, or perhaps a, a hybrid modality. Um the kind of introduction of the asynchronous accelerated model um, tends to be something that's often new for our university partners um, or definitely a space that they haven't necessarily um, uh, kind of expanded. Um, part of the, the benefit of the, of the partnership is helping universities, um, again, expand access to a group of students that they might not otherwise um, be able to serve. Uh, the, the working professional um, that's looking again for that accelerated offering that, um, you know, is looking for something that is um, going to help develop, uh, help further their career goals um, while again, um, helping lower cost, right? Um, we take a lot of pride and as do our university partners in helping to drive down um, student debt and lower tuition rates, um, again, in, in the spirit of expanding access. So, um, you know, to the other side of your question, perhaps maybe kind of where you're headed is how has that changed kind of post pandemic or in the midst of the pandemic? Um, we've certainly seen a, a, a lot of growth. Um, universities are looking for ways to uh, further support an online modality um, and to do so quickly. Um, and so, uh, again, I think the, the support services 
um, in particular, the academic services that were that were able to provide kind of side by side support with instructional designers and discipline specific practitioners and quality matters reviewers and user experience specialists, right? And now again with the with the synergy of course tune, this kind of outcomes facilitated alignment component. Um, these are really key pieces to universities being able to really pivot quickly, meet new consumer behavior demands, um, and stand up the highest quality online programs. Excellent. You know, uh, this always reminds me, uh, I don't know, it's, it's been probably a, a year now uh, or so ago, I uh, interviewed a president of a, a private institution uh, that never had online programs. And, um, you know, to be honest, some schools, I can think of a few in our area in Philadelphia that sort of looked down their nose on uh, schools provided online programming. But when I asked the president, uh, you know, when the pandemic is over, I hope someday, you know, when we can go back to new normal, uh, to a to a to a more normal normal, uh, what they thought uh, it would be like. And uh, to my surprise and delight, they said, "Well, I love uh, how online helps us to expand the the um, capabilities and the exposure our students have to um, faculty and um, experts uh, all around the world." And so I'm wondering how, in your experience, how your clients, uh, did, did, they, did they look at this as a temporary change to um, satisfy the needs during this uh, pandemic? Or do, they, do you think this is going to be a more prolonged, uh, you know, uh, will this become the, the, the new normal where much more emphasis is going to be on online and hybrid? How do you think that breaks down? I'll jump in and then I'd love to hear Maria's thoughts too. Um, so I definitely think that this is a time where we're experiencing a bit of a paradigm shift. And I, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, when the pandemic first uh, kind of came on um, and virtual synchronous emergency teaching took center stage. Um it was it was really a struggle, right? In particular for the for the public state space and and for for many many students and faculty and institutions, um, it was a really poor experience, right? Um, and the silver lining in that, looking back in time, is that I think it I think the uh, the need to so quickly pivot. Um, created a space for a new conversation and what we might call kind of new and emerging modalities. There was more attention than ever before on, um, on what online learning really is and what it isn't. And, and so I know something that we've experienced at academic partnerships and having conversations in particular with new institutions that we may be bringing on board is that we're talking about the differences between emergency, synchronous online learning versus um, traditional online versus hybrid versus accelerated asynchronous online. And the fact that each of those serve a different, um, a different demographic, um, different types of students, different types of needs. Um, and with, with those differences also comes best practices, some of which span all the modalities from online equivalency through accelerated online learning or alternative credentials, um, some of which are very unique to each of those variations. Um, and so, you know, again, take accelerated online learning, for example, accelerated online learning, uh, at least in our model um, and, and the, the, 
level of quality that we help um, or, or want our university partners to feel like they can achieve. It's a highly facilitated, highly interactive um, experience, both for students and faculty, right? Even though it's um, flexible, um, it's meeting those workforce demands while also, again, creating the, the, the highest quality um, online experience um, you know, possible for students. So um, again, is this here to stay? I think so. You know, I think, and I think Maria would probably say the same. I don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of us, especially in, in online higher education, saw or have have viewed the pandemic as a real accelerator. Um, and uh, and I think we're all learning a lot. Um, and I and I think that that is fair to say for our for our faculty, for students, for institutions. Um, it's a really exciting time. So, Maria, what do what do you think? I think there are a few things at play. I think I think online learning was already here to stay prior to the pandemic, right? I think the the, the, the schools, the partners that AP has and continues to have in this pipeline are looking at long term. I'm guessing because they are invested in developing high quality online um, degree programs that will serve students in their states in their local communities, right? Based on the, the types of schools that, that AP is serving. And, and, you know, state schools, community colleges, they've always been looking to do those things. Um, I think what has happened in the pandemic is an opening of faculty minds to what is possible in an online space in a way that would have taken a decade before the pandemic. Um, it is like, the one silver lining in, in all of this, right? If there can be a, a silver lining in, in, a, in, a, in a pandemic, right? We have gotten a whole bunch of people who swore they never could teach online, that it couldn't be done, that it, you know, they couldn't possibly reach their students. They couldn't possibly connect with their students. We've gotten a whole bunch of them to learn how to use platforms like Zoom, to learn how to use their learning management system, to learn how to use their digital textbook systems, right? So like we had this incredible acceleration of, of skills in faculty, right? Um, that I don't think would have happened otherwise for a long time. And, and what I think is particularly amazing about that is that for those who really kind of embraced it and learned it, and like when I try to, whenever I try to, learn something new, I try to do as best as I can, right? And some people kind of approach it with like, well, if I have to, I will. But I, I always try to kind of go into it with like, okay, well, like when I learned how to teach online in like 2007, I was like, well, I'm going to teach math online. I'm going to keep at it until I find all the tools that make this experience for online students just as good as a face-to-face experience, right? And if I'm not there yet, I'll keep looking. And so I think that for the faculty who kind of approached it that way, they now have this arsenal of tools in their toolkit for how to teach everything better. They've learned how to be, you can't do Zoom remote classes well unless you have active learning in place. It's just, it's a horrible experience for the faculty member. It's a horrible experience for the, for the student if all you do is show up and lecture, which was the case in person too, right? But it got particularly, like the faculty member saw it for the first time when they taught to a room of nobody's right with no cameras on no no interaction right they saw it for the first time for what it really was on the student side which was in many cases 
very boring, right? And so those faculty who wanted to do a good job, who wanted the experience to be great, had to pivot into new active learning strategies and and new technologies to to engage students, which is stuff that we've always tried to do in in high quality online education, right? Um, So I hope that what we've done is like upskilled a bunch of faculty. Of course, that comes with some downsides because I think we've also taught a whole bunch of students that online learning is horrible because what they got was not really online learning, right? They got um, suddenly shoved into a class that was moved into a learning management system where the teacher had no training, um, was overwhelmed, you know, didn't didn't know how to adapt to the to the systems or strategies quickly, did not receive enough training from their college, you know. And in those cases, what we've taught those students is that, that they don't want to do online learning, right? And that's that's sad. And I think we have our work cut out for us to combat that narrative now. Um, but I think we also taught some students that they love the format. And for those that got great, uh, great instructors and great designs to their courses and um, and the same level of interaction and and um, engagement that they would have had in an online class, some of those students thrived and realized that they had more time to study if they didn't have to drive to and from campus and find a parking space. Um, there have always been millions and millions of adults in the United States that needed education that could not get it from traditional methods of learning. Right. Right. And I think we're just, the eyes have been opened from a lot of, for a lot of institutions and faculty that those students are out there, that some of these methodologies help their the students they have, even the traditional students they have on campus. Um, and I hope that a lot of what they've learned is here to stay. Like, um, I think we, you know, I've talked about this before in some other uh, venues, but the prior to the pandemic, I already used Zoom to bring students into classes if they couldn't make it to class. So athletes, sick students, students who were home with kids, you know, because their kids were sick, they could always come to my, you know, prior to the pandemic for a few years, I was always letting them come in by Zoom if they needed to We record the class if they couldn't be there because of an event or something. Um, Everything they submitted was already submitted online. Um, The grading was done using remote tools. And so when we hit the pandemic, nothing changed for my students. We already had those things in place. And that was to their benefit to have those things in place, to have that flexibility that when life gets in the way, it doesn't get in the way of your education. Right? You know, you you, you answered some of the... um... Some of the anticipate some of the questions I had for you uh, about the, you know, reshaping curriculum design between, you know, before the pandemic and after. So from a technical uh, point of view, I'm techie by at heart. Uh, did did you did your product course tune evolve in any way, or was it just a matter of uh, introducing it to to new uh, customers? We did evolve a little bit in that we released. Um, a kind of light version of course tune called course plan during 2020, because we really didn't want to stop anybody who wanted to do good course design. Right. And sometimes, you know, getting a university to buy into a new product is, you know, a process that involves lots of people and committees and approvals and procurement and budget seasons and things like that. 
And we wanted to make sure that any faculty member or instructional designer that wanted to get their fingers into course tune and start doing kind of a more careful design and be able to see the, the structures and reports and visualizations would have a chance to. So we, we did a release a light version of Question called Course Plan. That's just, you know, a direct-to-consumer, pay-by-the-month, uh, pretty nominal fee for anybody who wants to dive in and get started. Um, and we find that a lot of schools will do that as they're going through that, you know, process that can be up to a year to get, you know, procurement of new technology. Um, we did add some new reports, I think, uh, during 2020 to really make it a lot easier to see how well your curriculum is aligned. You know, you have one of the things I heard a lot from faculty during, during 2020 was this sense of there's too much stuff in the curriculum. They, they get, they, they teach it online and they suddenly are like, I have to drop some things. I don't know what to drop. There's too much here. And the truth was there was always too much there. They only noticed it when they had to convert it to an online format. And we often find that's the case when faculty convert to an online format. And so knowing what is truly important, what truly meets the course learning objectives or course goals, and what's just there because it just got there through curriculum drift and curriculum bloat, right? That we actually, course will help you figure that out, right? Through the, through the design process. And so just giving a little bit more visibility into those alignments and, you know, a plan for each module, you know, that just comes out of a report, you can drop into the LMS, um, improving some of our LMS integrations. We did some things that, you know, just made it a little bit easier for folks who were trying to do good design, but like the hard thing about 2020 is everybody was like having their pants on fire year, right? Like the time for good design was not 2020. It was prior to 2020, right? And prior to heaven forbid the next pandemic we have, it's not during the crisis that we should be doing careful design. It's something we should be doing starting today so that the next time you have to pivot, it's simple. Like it's like what my students experienced oh, there's a pandemic, we can't come to class. Well, all that we did was change from showing up in a classroom to everybody showing up in Zoom instead of a couple people showing up in Zoom. That's it, right? Um, everything else was already there digitally. We could have shifted into any format we needed to um, from, from a carefully designed curriculum. And I think well, that's what we're really trying to help people do. Well, for those uh, in my audience that doesn't know about Course Tune, I... I... I really recommend you go to their website because I, I'm a visual learner and I loved seeing how they handle the curriculum design in a very graphical format. And it's, it makes it, uh, you know, I think a lot easier to, to visualize. Now, um, customers that you already had before the pandemic, like you said, they, they were well positioned um, for this, uh, for the pandemic and moving on. How about, I'm sure you've had new customers since the pandemic, um, how has that been? And how have they, uh, I, I know a lot of, a lot of schools are panicking because they, they didn't have enough instructional designers to attempt to move their on-ground curriculum to, to online. So this must've been, was this, was this a, um, um, a, a difficult time for you? Did you really have to ramp up, uh, your, your capabilities in helping these new schools to, to move online? How, how did that work out? 
So we don't actually provide instructional design services. We just provide the software to help with these kinds of uh, careful design processes, right? And I think the thing that was hard about 2020 is very few people were doing careful design in 2020. It was all pants on fire design, right? Um, what we're hoping to see now is um, leaders at colleges who have a sense of uh, more than just getting through what turns out to be another pandemic year, um, investing in the infrastructure and the um, training and the instructional design that's needed to really get to where we need to be in education. Um, we, we've been hearing a lot like about AI and how AI is going to change education and things like that. But the thing about um, artificial intelligence is that it only works if you have a well-labeled data set. And when it comes to curriculum, almost none of the classes we have in higher education are well-labeled in terms of even what is taught in those classes, right? In some disciplines, it's better than other nursing and education tend to do a better job of knowing what their learning objectives are, knowing what their course objectives are. Um, but if you don't even know what the backbone is under the structure of what you're teaching, um, you're never going to be able to like truly get to learning analytics because you don't even know what the students are supposed to be learning in the classes, right? Like we can't magically output data from a learning management system that says like students learned this and didn't learn this if you don't know what the learning objectives for the class are, right? It's like a fundamental structure that has to be there to be able to start getting other data. And what we've been calling learning analytics for the last 10 years is in 95% of the cases, just click analytics. Did they click somewhere, right? And certainly we've made a lot of great strides on did they click somewhere, right? Like we now know to call students when we haven't seen them log into learning management system in a week, or, you know, when we see they haven't done any of the readings or so like, it's not that those statistics aren't valuable, but it's not learning analytics. It's attendance analytics right now. And this work has to be done. It's not easy to, to, to correct, to do the correct curriculum design for, for a course or a program, which is really what needs to happen. Um, but if you're thinking long-term and you're thinking that AI is going to help with improving student outcomes and things like that, it's not, if you, you don't, if you don't even know what's in the courses. Right. Yeah, I, you, you brought up, yeah, I, I was going to turn it over to you because I had a question about, uh, you brought up, uh, you know, assessment and I'm wondering how AP has handled, you know, uh, focusing on, on mapping and uh, assessment alignment and how CoreStune is helping you in that regard. What did you do before and, and how is this going to help you in moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so outcomes alignment is a, is a critical piece for all of the reasons that Maria just described uh, for AP and for our support and service to our faculty and our partners as well. Um, and so we take a, a very deliberate approach as we kind of walk um, partners and faculty through design and development. We provide um, curriculum mapping support. Um, so side by side with faculty uh, kind of talking through um, alignment of program goals to course objectives, to module objectives, to assessments. Um, and, and also to Maria's point, right, historically, a lot of that work is done in spreadsheets. 
right? And it's not a, a very dynamic process. It's a, uh, a practical approach. It works um, for its purpose. Um, but, you know, again, there's there's much better ways to do it. And, and Maria and her team certainly cracked that nut. Um, I'd also share kind of just going back in time, you know, you're asking Maria about how um, Question kind of pivoted um, and how their partners pivoted. And she talked about the course plan. Um, AP uh, provided a new kind of uh, support or, or set of resources called AP Off Campus. And one of the pieces that um, was a part of that offering was essentially a toolkit, is that we, um, we developed a course shell or a course template um, that was aimed at online equivalency. In other words, how do you take your on-campus curriculum and and migrate uh, your your intentions, your objectives, your goals into this online modality um, and be able to kind of toggle between the two. So the course shell very much kind of was aimed at those goals. And again, and Maria highlighted these pieces, we were very explicit in that course shell and in that course template of providing um, kind of space holders or, or placeholders for that outcomes alignment component, um, also aligned to quality matters, which uh, Maria and her team in Course Tune also um, uh, work very closely with. And so we we provided that offering free of cost to our on-campus uh, university faculty, right? So AP serves a, a, the online modality, but we opened up that, um, that access and, and those resources. We trained over a thousand um, on-campus faculty and how to use these course shells and templates and toolkits um, aligned at out or sorry aimed at outcomes alignment, um, you know, in order to again kind of toggle between those modalities. So, um, you know, again, previously, I hope this is kind of coming through. We've had these approaches, these strategies, the side by side support aimed at um, kind of reverse engineering um, industry and program goals. Sometimes uh, regulatory goals, you know, across institution, program, course module assessment, um, but we are so excited about what, again, the synergy with Course Tune is going to um, allow us uh, to, to, to better uh, serve and, and support um, our faculty partners uh, in, you know, again, the use of this very dynamic visualization routing that you talked about um, and um, just fantastic ways of, of seeing and viewing and refining the curriculum um, we're very, very excited about this enhancement to our service offerings going forward. Now, uh, you mentioned um, how you were trained faculty. And, you know, at my own institution, when I think about all the ways we try to train faculty, it's often like uh, herding cats, especially since uh, we're a professional uh, school uh, and we depend a lot on instructional designers. So, um, and we don't have enough of them. I think uh, they're spread pretty thin these days. Uh, what role do instructional designers have? Do you, uh, does AP have their own? Uh, do you, um, I'm curious if, if, with the institutions that, that are your focus, uh, do they have instructional designers or are they, all the faculty are, or are they on their own? So um, the institutions that we serve in many cases do have instructional design teams, um, although they're often they're often very small and um, you know and they're wearing a lot of hats. Um, Academic Partnerships has a team of instructional designers, as I mentioned, at kind of at the beginning of this call, because we take the approach of um, ensuring that faculty are at the helm and in the driver's seat. 
our instructional designers are side by side. They're really instructional design facilitators, you might say, um, helping to guide faculty um, through the process of kind of deconstructing and reconstructing their on-campus programs into an online modality um, while remaining highly focused on this outcomes alignment piece that we've been talking about. Um, and so in that way, we're able to bolster the resources and in the in infrastructure in that area, um, as we do in other areas also. Um, we modify our approach a lot of times based on um, kind of the, the needs and the preferences of the university in terms of how our, our IDs might work with the university's IDs. Um, but again, kind of one of those guiding, uh, you know, post or, or North Stars, if you will, is um, helping faculty develop sustainable practices. Um, and how our IDs team um, with with faculty and partners. Great. You know, um, just to be respectful of my audience, I think we're going to, have to wrap it up soon. But I, I wanted to give you both uh, a chance to, I think, um, I'd like to know what you think are the biggest challenges going forward. What do you need? What what do you see as, as the hurdles that you still need to overcome uh, as we evolve into this? new normal, let's say. You want to start, Maria? Sure. I think that the biggest challenge is honestly short-term versus long-term thinking. And, you know, we don't just have this challenge in higher ed. I think it's pervasive throughout the U.S. that we have have trouble with short-term and long-term thinking, right? So right now, we're still in pants on fire mode in in higher ed, right? Uh, The fall has not been as smooth as as everybody had hoped it would be. Um, we definitely noticed a lot of faculty taking longer vacations and checking out more over the summer because everybody was so burnt out, right? Um, and unfortunately, we're kind of back at it with a lot of angst on campuses trying to figure out what's going on now. And we can't lose sight of the longer term goals to really design a, a good program that's super engaging for students and meets all of the quality marks and really launches students out into the world to be successful in whatever career they're aiming for, or even if the discipline is not aimed at a specific career, to launch them out successfully into the workplace so that they can be um, good citizens and and good workers and and meet their own goals. That takes some time. It's not something that's done in a week, two weeks, or even a semester. And so I guess I, I just hope that for folks that are listening to this, you know, think back, especially for leaders who are listening to this, think back to the goals you had when you started your job. Like, what did you, what were the big things you hoped to accomplish? And I think it's time to go back and take a look at, you know, maybe you aren't going to make a, a lot of progress on that this year, but if, if you want to get to some of those bigger goals for new curriculum, new programs, redesigns, and more engaging programs, you have to start putting some of that in place now. You have to get that process started now. You can't just like two years from now be like, oh, we want to do this. Let's do it next week. That just doesn't happen, right? So I guess, um, you know, just to just remind people that the big goals you have require steps every year, not just you, you have to get past this pants on fire thinking to the next things that are going to happen. And the more prepared you are, the better the next crisis is navigated. And unfortunately, I think there will be a next crisis. It'll be a hurricane or a fire or another pandemic or, you know, 
super hot weather or gas prices that are $10 a gallon, or you know, there will be a next, there will. And so if you want to be prepared for those things, you've got to do the groundwork now. I would, um, I would agree with everything that, that Maria just said um, and kind of add to that. I think um, in addition to um, being ready and able and prepared to deliver the highest quality learning, regardless of circumstance, um, again, you know, education at your fingertips, a pandemic, a snowstorm, you know, your faculty member getting sick, a family emergency should not stand in the way of a student's ability to access the highest quality education experience that they signed up for. I think in addition to that challenge, um, I think, and, and again, it, it, it resonates with what Maria just shared, the long-term thinking, the long-term planning, um, the being very deliberate in particular about reverse engineering kind of workforce um, competencies and skills and relevance um, to and through um, higher education programs, you might even say to and through all levels of, of education, um, right? Again, from kind of kindergarten through the most advanced degrees. And um, again, kind of bring this conversation full circle. This is why course tune is so essential to where we are when it comes to reimagining design um, in curriculum, not just in higher ed, but in education in general and the power and the elegance of the tool to be able to help educators um, and industry perhaps sit side by side, planning together um, and aligning these competencies and these skills um, in order to, to support students and, and their professional success and, and their goals. Great, that's that's an excellent uh, summary. Um, I usually ask uh, educational technology companies, the last question is, um, is there any new uh, part to your technology that's coming down the pike that we can look forward to? Anything you care to uh, release? Uh, give us a taste of what's what's coming in, in any sense. A few things I'm not going to talk about. I guess you always do. Um, but I think, um, you know, in this last uh, release or two, we have um, put out something called variations, which I think is, is really exciting and really good for this kind of redesign of pivoting. What variations um, does is it locks the course nucleus. And the course nucleus to us is the course learning objectives and, and then the like the module learning objectives, the like smaller learning objectives that are there. So you can make a base that's like a base course that's, you know, the kind of traditional core course you teach, you know, 20 sections of it or whatever. And then you can allow for variations on it. And if a particular professor wants to teach a variation of it, or you want to have an eight-week version instead of a 15-week version, or you want to have an online or hybrid version or a weekend version or whatever you want, those variation layers will all keep the same core, the same nucleus. So they will keep the same course learning objectives and learning objectives, but how you design it from there is completely up to the designer. So you can change the structure of how the week format, you can change the activities, the assessments, but they all still have to tie to the same core, right? And what's fantastic about that is that it, it brings real um, visibility to what it is that is the course, regardless of modality, regardless of professor, regardless of materials used, it ensures that every student that takes the course is learning the same things. And 
I think that's something we've needed for a long time in higher ed. And certainly when accrediting bodies come in to look at, you know, is your online curriculum as good as your face-to-face curriculum? You can actually just point to the variation report and say, look, they all have the same course learning objectives and learning objectives. Um, all we're doing is changing the activities and the number of weeks in this course, right? Once everything is designed in course tune, is it integrate with any number any number of LMSs that you have and automatically? Yeah, we integrate that with, content? with um, Canvas, Blackboard, Brightspace, and Moodle. Good. And oh. we'll be deepening the integrations over the next couple of years. Like okay. we already in Canvas, we already kind of have a, bush, a button you can push that moves the content over to Canvas. I mean, nice. when I say content, the design over design. to Canvas. We don't yeah. actually design content in course two because the place to design your content is learning management system where it's going to work, right? But, but the, the sort, of, sort of the shell, the, the, the shell, shell. Yeah, all that hard work of adding all the yeah. modules, adding the pages with learning objectives, sure. you know, things like that. We're yeah. going to deepen that over the next couple of years. So, yeah, great. And again, yeah. it's it's really nicely aligned because AP is um, LMS agnostic, right? All of our services and support templates, ID support, it's all right um, aimed at an LMS yeah. agnostic approach. And that's, and that's so, one of the reasons why we were so excited. I mean, amongst many reasons, it was one of the reasons we were so excited about AP as an acquirer for course team because it meant that none of our customers were going to lose right. their LMS support. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that that's a great, uh, we'll look forward to those uh, new features. And uh, I really want to thank both of you for uh, joining me today and, uh, talking about this uh, crazy world of uh, education during a pandemic and how we're all moving online. So um, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time and um, look forward to uh, following you in the future. Thanks, Rob. That's it for today's podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. I would certainly check out Course Tune. They have a wonderful product. I did interview Maria a while back about the Course Tune product. I think it's even more important these days as we move from in-class to online learning. Now, stay tuned for a wonderful day by the Debbie Porius Trio. Until next time, have a great week.
that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray, and does not represent the official viewpoint of any other institution or company.